This is Prevent Defense, the podcast. What's going on, everybody? This is the Prevent Defense podcast. I am your host, Elliot Shore Parks, along with the one and only Brian Baldinger. This is, of course, a Radio.com podcast. You can check us out on the Radio.com sports app and all your favorite podcast apps that you use. Baldy, you are already on the road preparing for week two. Crazy it's only a few days away. Uh, what's going on, man? Well, you know, these once we get into this rhythm, Elliot, as you know, um, it is it, it, all, the players and people that cover it, like yourself and myself, like these weeks start to fly by. It's going to be mid-October before we know it. But, you know, right now teams are trying to figure out what they have, how they're going to supplant certain injuries in key spots around the league. And, you know, what didn't work for teams like – you know, Cleveland and Atlanta and some teams that lost badly last week, what are they going to do to fix things and correct it so those things don't show up this week? So you mentioned injuries, and unfortunately, already, even though just one week into the season, we have a few major ones. Uh, the first one, not so much a, a, an injury, more of a, an illness. Jets quarterback Sam Darnold, it just came out today. He has mono. He's definitely going to miss Monday night's game against the Browns and could be out a few weeks. Uh, the Jets, I believe, have three more games and then they're by. So that could help them a little bit. But overall, obviously a big blow. Uh, head coach Adam Gay said Trevor Simeon is going to be starting with Luke Falk now in as the backup. So the quarterback hit, it's a major hit for them. I mean, let's be honest here. They had do have talent on offense, but they were really counting on Darnold coming in and having a breakout second year. What's your thoughts on Darnold being out and can they survive with Simeon? I think it's going to be tough, Elliot. Um... I thought Sam Darnold had a good preseason. I thought he played well in week one. Uh, even even though Buffalo did a great job defending and taking away the deep pass, I mean, they, they're a good defense. Teams are going to find out that they're very difficult to prepare for. They do a lot. But, I mean, he threw the ball 14 times to Jameson Crowder, 14 completions. He, you know, he found a slot receiver. They were up 17-0. They were in control of the game. They let it slip away. It was ugly. But this mononucleosis, mononucleosis, yeah, I mean, this mono is something that is not a one-week disorder. It's not a two-week disorder. Your biggest issue is relapse. My brother had it when he was in college, and the fatigue, first of all, wipes you out. It's not like you can just muscle through it. You can't. The only really remedy is bed rest, which is the worst thing for any athlete to have to do, is change yeah. yourself to a yeah. bed. And you look, there'll, there'll be d- days when he's going to sleep 18 or 20 hours. It's just the only cure, and it's really what you're going to end up doing. So it's a tremendous blow. Um, we have seen Trevor Simeon as a starter in this league in Denver. And it's just, he's just, I mean, he can he can move the team, and he's a smart guy and Northwestern grad and all that stuff. But it was just a big difference between what Sam Darnold can do. And it's not a great offensive line. I mean, Sam Darnold gets out of a lot of trouble with just his ability to escape pressure. Uh, elude the quick rush, and then keep his eyes down the field. He's very talented at doing it. He's a, he's almost an elite athlete back there. I, I don't see Trevor Simeon in that category at all. And, and one of the biggest concerns, you mentioned the fact, the potential of a relapse and how he could be sleeping 18 hours a day. But what Adam Gay said is just the weight loss at this point. He, he's lost significant weight. And you, you hit the nail on the head. For, for an athlete to have to just essentially be bedridden for – for two weeks or whatever it's going to end up being, it's a huge setback. So yeah, maybe he's back in three weeks, but it'll be tough for him to come back and be that same player. 
Adding insult to injury for the Jets is, of course, Le'Veon Bell getting an MRI on his shoulder. So just when it rains, it pours here in New York. And that's a, not as significant as an injury as Darnold. But when you don't have Darnold, then you would like to lean on Le'Veon Bell. That's why you pay him that money. He could make Trevor Simeon's life a lot easier. If they're, with, if they're without Le'Veon Bell as well this upcoming Monday, they are without Darnold already. They fall to 0-2. Like, is the Jets' season already in risk of being over before it even got started? Well, I'm not going to put put them in the crypt and bury them right now. Uh, teams have found ways to win games and stay alive mm-hmm. uh, in much more dire straits than what the Jets are right now. I think the, the, the difficult part is Adam Gase was hired in large part to really help develop Sam Darnold and to really put this offense together. And if you take Darnold out and if Le'Veon Bell does miss any time, the two most important pieces to this offense, and you, they lose Quincy Anunwa as well for the season. I mean, you lose three starters in the first week for a variety of issues. And you just wonder, like, can you put this offense together? I mean, what they worked on all offseason was Le'Veon Bell and Sam Darnold together. And if they're not out there together, do you, does Adam Gase just get a pass? Because he took the job in large part because of Sam Darnold. And the, the, the fact that he could really develop a guy that could be a, a frontline starter in this league for a long time. And I, I just don't think you're going to see him for at least a, mo- a minimum of a month. And I think it's going to be longer than that. So that would be my concern from a Jets fan perspective. If you're the Jets and, you know, last week was was an ugly loss. But, yeah, you want Gase in here to to mentor Darnold, to coach him. But I personally don't believe Gase is the is the right choice at, at head coach. I mean, his resume in Miami obviously was, was not great. I know he has a history of developing quarterbacks, but now for the Jets, you're kind of kicking the can down the road. If you're Joe Douglas, and we can argue who really has the power there, Gase or Joe Douglas, but if, if you're Joe Douglas and the Jets owner, it's harder to really evaluate Gase for really this season at this point. Because you mentioned if, if he's out a month, that means he comes back week five or six, and then you have to give him a few games to get back into the swing of things. You're talking week... 10-11 until you can really see what Gase has been able to do with Darnold. So outside of just this season, I think this is it's a setback for this, for this Jets organization in a number of ways. Um, one thing I wanted to pick your brain on, though, and you kind of started to touch on it earlier. So this Monday night at, at uh, uh, the Browns, Browns come to New York. They're not going to Cleveland. The Browns are coming to New York. Is this now for the Browns an easy game for them? I mean, how how... Do they have to? How does this change preparing for the, for Cleveland? Well, I mean, I think Sam Darnold is, is much more mobile and can get out of harm's way much quicker. Uh, the Cleveland Browns are going to come, whether Sam Darnold was playing and Levin Bell, if he plays. I mean, they were coming to put that ugly performance last Sunday against the Titans to rest. And it starts with just their undisciplined amount of penalties and what they did to put themselves in a hole nearly every single series of that game. I mean, I think that they're going to come play as fierce as you can play, but under control. Um, they, Greg Williams on the other side, he coached this defense the last couple seasons. They all know Greg Williams. I'm sure they want to show Greg uh, and the Jets just what they are because nobody outside of the people that were there like myself, 
nobody saw just how bad that was. They just read about it, but it was ugly. And so I think the Jets are going to get the best punch that the Cleveland Browns have with or without the players that are, are might or may not be missing. So Shrevy and Simeon, I mean, I think you're going to get the best for Miles Garrett and Olivier Vernon. Olivier Vernon coming back onto the field that uh, he played on uh, for the better part of two seasons in New York, very familiar with the surroundings, and he didn't have a great first game. So I'm sure he's out there to show all Jet fans and people inside that building just what he's capable of doing, and I think you're going to get that. So sounds like we're both going to pick Cleveland in this one. I think it probably won't even be close. I think the Browns are a lot better than what they showed last week. The Titans are a lot better than the Jets, especially without Sam Darnold. So prime time, I think Baker has a big game. I think you're looking at probably a 10-plus, 14-plus victory here for the Browns. You thinking the same thing? I am. I would say this, though. You know, you just can't – you know, none of these games are guaranteed. Nobody, They're still going to go play. If Cleveland plays undisciplined football, they turn it over, three interceptions in the fourth quarter last week. Um, they commit another inordinate amount of penalties. I mean, they're, they're going to be the national story for a team that had as much hype as any team going into a season in recent history. And if they come out 0-2, I mean, Freddie Kitchens will be the first coach on the hot seat. And it would be interesting if something like that happened. And Greg Williams on the other side, who a lot of people thought should have been given more consideration for that job as the head coach, taking that team five and two down the stretch. So there'll be some irony and stories written if something like that would happen. But I'm with you, Elliot. I don't see, I just can't see the Browns not coming away with a big victory. They, They have too much talent. I believe in the quarterback too much. And I don't think that they will be their own worst enemy this Sunday. Yeah, so if the Browns were to lose this game, obviously that would be one of the biggest questions is can Freddie Kitchens coach his team? Is he on the hot seat? But it's September, Baldy, and you know what that means. The NFL on CBS is back. And as I mentioned, there are a lot of questions this year. Is Freddie Kitchens going to be on the hot seat with a loss? Will the Patriots repeat? Is this the Cowboys' year? Will Patrick Mahomes be able to lead the Chiefs to a championship? Will Sam Darnold ever be healthy? Lots of questions to ask, and you can stream all your local games live every Sunday with CBS All Access, available across all of your favorite devices. You can go to cbs.com insider to get a free one-week trial of CBS All Access. Once again, that is cbs.com insider to get a free one-week trial of All Access. So outside of Browns and Jets, which is probably a little bit of a less exciting game now outside of the Darnold uh, drama or, or sickness, I should say, You are in Pittsburgh. You're going to be there for Seahawks at Steelers. Steelers coming off of an absolutely embarrassing loss in week one. Really, to me, said, I can't take them seriously as an AFC contender at this point, just because they're never going to be able to get past the Patriots. I know it was just one game, but they've consistently shown they can't beat the Patriots. But what they can do is try to rebound from week one. Seahawks at Steelers. Just to start off where we really dive into it, what are some some things you're looking at coming into this game? Well, I mean, the national story with the Steelers is, can they replace Antonio Brown? So Juju Smith-Schuster last week saw a whole lot of Stephon Gilmore all over the field, and he didn't do much. But on the opposite side, Dante Moncrief was awful. He admitted he was awful. They targeted him 10 times. He had three catches for seven yards. He said it was the single worst performance he's ever had. Now, maybe he can rebound. But if he can't, if he's just a guy 
I mean, I, I, first of all, I think James Washington is a better player. Now, maybe Mike Tomlin, they see something different every day in practice, but I think I know James Washington pretty good. So somebody has to step up. Um, if Seattle can just gang up on Juju Smith-Schuster, who is going to be that guy? They, they did not run the ball. They didn't do anything well last week. So we'll say, okay, preseason, rusty, really good team, on the road. We'll give them a little bit of a pass. They can't beat the Patriots. You know, they're in their head. They get their home opener against Seattle, who's a quality team. We know what they want to do. They want to run the ball down their throat. Um, that's why Mike Solari is there. That's why Brian Schottenheimer is there. Uh, when Brian Schottenheimer was the offensive coordinator for the Jets in 2008, they ran the ball 610 times. There's not a team in this league in the last decade that has come close to running it 610 times. That's what Seattle would love to do. So I thought Devin Bush was lost last week. Now, you can get lost if you're going against the Patriots, and they're just throwing more stuff at you than you've ever seen. I mean, Brady's got 20 years under center there, and there's nothing that he can't call or get his team into. And it was very difficult. Devin Bush is not going to have that problem this week. Seattle isn't trying to fool you. They're going to come right at you with a, you know, with a couple of different good backs. So I think that's the first chore for Pittsburgh this Sunday is to stop a really good running attack of Seattle. They led the league last year in rushing, and they were off to a good start last week against Cincinnati trying to do it. So I've always thought it's interesting that Seattle has probably one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL in Russell Wilson, probably top three or four, and they're one of the biggest rushing teams in the league. So if you're Pete Carroll, you just gave Russell Wilson all that money. That was always a little bit perplexing to me. But from Seattle's perspective, they win week one, but you could kind of feel like maybe you walk out of that game not feeling great. You barely beat the Cincinnati Bengals, who are probably not going to be one of the better teams in the league last year, probably not even competing from within their division. They barely win that game. Jadavion Clowney said afterwards he felt rusty a little bit, which is understandable coming off of you know basically a month off in training camp. How did you think Jadavion Clowney looked in his debut with the Seahawks? He only played about half the snaps. Yeah. So you know, he did get a sack. He had a tackle for a loss. Um, he wasn't the dominant player that we saw the last three years in Houston. He didn't look like that type of guy. And so I'm sure he hasn't played any football since uh, a playoff loss to the Colts in January. So I would expect him to, you know, from a conditioning standpoint, from just, you know, feeling comfortable in his pads to perfecting some disruptive moves that he has that are pretty unique to the league. I would think that he'd need at least a game and, a bunch of competitive practices in Seattle to get back to where he, he needs to be. And they need him. They, they literally have no pass rush. LJ Collier, the first round pick has been invisible. He, he hasn't played. Um, and they don't have anybody else there right now. That's why they made the trade. I mean, they simply didn't have anybody that could collapse a pocket and put pressure on a quarterback. They need him to be really good. And so he's going to see, you know, he's going to see two good tackles this week. Alejandro Villanueva, um, you know, I think Matt Filer is a quality player out of Bloomsburg. So he's going to see, you know, a pretty good offensive line and pretty good protectors to, to, to sort of make his statement this week. So I'm going to pick the Seahawks in this one. I think they have the better quarterback. I think they have probably the better head coach and the better overall roster, in my opinion. Who are you picking in this one? I'm going to take the Steelers. I think, you know, they're coming back. They're, they're at Pittsburgh. They have a good home field there. It's a lousy field. Uh, no matter when you play there, it's a lousy field. 
I mean, that's not, you know, both teams are playing on the same field, so it's not, it shouldn't be an issue. But I think Pittsburgh will rebound. I, I think this team, I don't think the, the Seahawks have any kind of corners the way New England does. They don't really play the style of football that can give you problems the way New England does. Um, I, I think that they'll rebound well. I think Connor will have a big game. And I expect Pittsburgh to rebound and win this game, get back on track. I, I, I think they're going to be a good team. Yeah, it would be a it would be a devastating loss for Pittsburgh to drop to 0-2, especially in a division that is going to be really competitive. But speaking of competitive and two teams that really don't like each other, the Saints and Rams are quickly becoming two of those teams off of, of course, the controversial call last year in the NFC Championship game. The Saints go to uh, go to Los Angeles this time, though. Both those games last year were in New Orleans. I thought Jared Goff was a little better than his numbers indicated in week one against the Panthers. I think just you going into Carolina and getting that win is very impressive. And we already talked in last last episode about the Saints win. Saints at Rams, is this an NFC championship preview? And what are some of your initial thoughts on this matchup? I don't necessarily think it's an NFC championship matchup. I did not think in watching the game that Jared Goff was good. I mean, he missed a lot of open receivers. I think he was good. It was interesting, uh, Elliot, to me. Malcolm Brown is their backup running back to Todd Gurley. And Todd Gurley had one run where it looked like what we're accustomed to seeing from Todd Gurley. The other runs, I thought Malcolm Brown was a better player. And I'm curious what Sean McVay does, because he proved last year, late in the season, that he's going to go with the better players. Now, Todd Gurley has been on a pitch count. They have taken all the precautions. I'm anxious to see if Malcolm Brown gets as many, if not more, carries than Todd Gurley. He looked, I remember when Malcolm Brown, Elliot, came out of high school, went to the University of Texas. He was the nation's number one recruit. There was a huge buzz. And he never lived up to it. He had injuries at, at, at Texas. They had other backs. He was, a, you know, I, don't, I think he was undrafted. And he's been with the Rams. He was hurt for a year, a couple of years ago. But he looked like the guy that was as heralded coming out of high school as Todd Gurley was. And he looked like that guy. He ran with power. He ran between the tackles. He made people miss. He did a lot of good things. He was a more consistent back. That's one player. Um, it's interesting. The, the, the Saints and Rams played twice last year. Like they played in the middle of the season. And I remember um, – the, the, the Saints won both games. In the first game, in the middle of the season, I remember talking to the offensive line coach of the Saints, and they spent the entire week basically game-planning Aaron Donald. And Aaron Donald really did nothing in the game. They literally had two guys or three on him, every run and every pass. And it was, they almost made him invisible, if that's possible. Sean Payton, Drew Brees, and the offensive line coach and the run coordinator, they are up right now, making sure that what Wade Phillips is doing with Aaron Donald doesn't allow him to ruin the game. And that's almost as big a part of any game plan when you face the Rams. And so I'm anxious to see that. Uh, but that was, that comeback that the Texans had in that building, I mean, to see that game decided by a 58-yard kick by Lutz like that, I mean, that was an amazing finish. It's it's a short week for them. They they finish late Monday night, Elliot, right? 
Then they got to get on the road and go to Los Angeles. These things do tend to bother teams. They do tend to bother, make you fatigued and affect you. Now, the Rams had to go all the way to Carolina, so they're coming back home. We'll see. But I think Goff has to play a lot better for the Rams to win this game this weekend. Yeah, look, you're probably right. Maybe he wasn't as great against the Panthers as I thought. I just think the thing with Jared Goff is, like, and I'm a big quarterback win-loss guy. I just am. I know some people don't respect that as a stat, but I think you look last year, Jared Goff in some ways kind of had his coming out party at New Orleans, leading them back in that game, had a really good final last drive. I think if not for that controversial call, people will look at that game and really highlight how well Goff was at the end of it, made some big-time throws. But look, when we talk about this two, these two teams, you talk about offense, right? Drew Brees, Jared Goff, Sean McVay, Sean Payton. You mentioned Aaron Donald. Is this game going to be like the Chiefs-Rams of last year, just a complete shootout? Which defense do you think is more capable of slowing down the other offense just enough so that their team can get a win? I think both defenses are better than what we saw in that Chiefs-Rams game last year. Um, I think Clay Matthews can make a difference. Uh, I think it's a pretty good front. I think he's happy to be back home in Southern California. And getting this opportunity. <clears throat> the Saints defense, although Deshaun Watson did some amazing things, I mean, they do have all the pieces to be really good. And so I don't think we're going to see a, a shootout. I just don't, I, these offenses don't look like, look like that. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of concerned watching the Saints last week if they have enough firepower. I know Michael Thomas and Aaron. Uh, and uh, AK-41, I mean, I know Kamara and Thomas are as good a one-two punch as there is in football. And they lean on those guys heavily. I'm curious to see what Wade does to try to slow them down. And if somebody else can step up, because we didn't really see that Monday night. So this is obviously a huge game for the Saints. I'd imagine they're going to have a ton of emotion going into it. I remember last year, Sean McVay, oh, Sean McVay, Sean Payton, put a ton of money in the middle of the Saints locker room. So he's certainly one for motivational tactics. I'm going to pick the Rams in this one, though. I just think the fact that it's not in the Dome, that it's on the road in Los Angeles. You mentioned the Saints are coming off of a short week. I wonder if they're going to be too hyped up for this game, too, too much emotionally spent on it. I'm going to pick the Rams. Are you leaning that way, or do you think the Saints go into Los Angeles and get some revenge off of last year? No, I mean, I think the revenge factor is real. I mean, I, you know yeah. you know that Sean Payton is playing that card. You know that this week that call is up there on the screen in front of the whole team. If not for that call, we would be Super Bowl contending teams. You know Sean Payton will use that and dangle that carrot all week long with this team. And just to bring back all of that emotion, and not just the team's emotion, but the city's emotion, that who that nation is real. And it was like just a sucker punch to that entire city. I think Sean Payton... I think they'll come off that plane probably, you know, who knows, in battle fatigues. And we've seen these kind of, you know, these kind of motivational tactics. I, I, I mean, it could be who that shirts. I think they come collectively off the plane with some kind of like gimmick. I don't think they come off with their headphones on and, you know, expensive suits. I, I, I think this team is going to make a statement getting off the plane. All that being said, I'm with you, Elliot. I think that this is a Rams game. I mean, I think that they, they, I think they'll find a way to win this game. I, I think the Saints 
I mean, how many times can you figure on a 58-yard field goal to win a game? I, I don't understand, really, the strategy at the end of that game with 37 seconds, whatever it was, defensively, how Houston could play and let them get those needed yards to have that field goal attempt. I just don't understand that strategy. I see it around the league, and I don't I don't agree with it. I just don't. It, it, I saw it in the Eagles game last week. They're, they're playing the sticks, and teams find a way. Like, it's just too soft. And mm. there's just too many things that go wrong with you have elite athletes with the ball in their hands. So this game should be a fast-paced team between two great offenses. So it's going to be a fast one. But you know what can be a slow process? Hiring. Cafe Altour's COO Dylan Miskowitz needed to hire a director of coffee. So, of course, he went to ZipRecruiter, posted his job, and found the best person for the role in just a few days. How? ZipRecruiter's technology finds people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. It's no wonder four to five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So you're in Pittsburgh. You're going to be there for Seahawks at Steelers. I'm leaving for Atlanta on Friday for Eagles-Falcons, one of the other premier games of the weekend. My biggest, when I, when I, when I think of this game, I think it's going to completely come down to the defensive lines. Last week, Atlanta really struggled against that Vikings defensive line. I mean, Matt Ryan was throwing almost every throw off of his back foot, backpedaling because of pressure. If the Eagles can't get pressure, I think Matt Ryan will pick them apart. The secondary is not as good as I thought. The Eagles secondary, I mean. I'm not sure, though, that the Eagles have the talent on the defensive line to get the pressure on Matt Ryan. So before we get into that, what I do want to ask you, though, is just overall, the Eagles' defense— what did you see in week one? Because I saw a unit that might not be as talented as we thought it was heading into the season. No, I kind of agree, Elliot. I mean, they didn't play well in the secondary. Um, you know, the, the, t- the tackling on Vernon Davis and his touchdown is just atrocious. Um, to see, you know, Rasul Douglas pull up and wait for somebody else to make the tackle, and then Vernon Davis runs away from everybody, uh, you know, in his 14th year in his league at age 35 like that. Um, I didn't think that was a good statement. I mean, the Eagles, when Deshaun Jackson caught the 53-yard pass, Elliot, to take that lead 21-20, the very next series, Case Keenum missed McLaren on a touchdown. I mean, it was a 70-yard bomb. He got behind everybody. There's nobody in the middle of the field. There's a complete breakdown. His speed runs right by him. Now, he could have done exactly what Deshaun Jackson just did to them. It was there to be made. And I thought they could have easily taken the lead right there. That being said, Matt Ryan is looking at a defense right now that I think they have some holes in it, Elliot. I am a big Avante Maddox fan, but I think he's out of position. He is, to me, their best corner. Now, they don't really have a nickel corner. They've tried Avante in there. They've they've run Sidney Jones in there, and none of them look very good. And I'm sure that Dirk Cotter and Matt Ryan is looking at that, and I expect to This is Prevent Defense, the podcast. What's going on, everybody? This is the Prevent Defense podcast. I am your host, Elliot Shore Parks, along with the one and only Brian Baldinger. This is, of course, a Radio.com podcast. You can check us out on the Radio.com sports app and all your favorite podcast apps that you use. Baldy, you are already on the road preparing for week two. 
crazy it's only a few days away. Uh, what's going on, man? Well, you know, these once we get into this rhythm, Elliot, as you know, um, it is it, it, all, the players and people that cover it, like yourself and myself, like these weeks start to fly by. It's going to be mid-October before we know it. But, you know, right now teams are trying to figure out what they have, how they're going to supplant certain injuries in key spots around the league. And, you know, what didn't work for teams like, you know, Cleveland and Atlanta and some teams that lost badly last week, what are they going to do to fix things and correct it so those things don't show up this week? So you mentioned injuries, and unfortunately, already, even though just one week into the season, we have a few major ones. Uh, the first one, not so much a, a, an injury, more of a, an illness. Jets quarterback Sam Darnold, it just came out today. He has mono. He's definitely going to miss Monday night's game against the Browns and could be out a few weeks. Uh, the Jets, I believe, have three more games and then they're by, so that could help them a little bit. But overall, obviously a big blow. Uh, head coach Adam Gay said Trevor Simeon is going to be starting with Luke Falk now in as the backup. So the quarterback hit, it, it's a major hit for them. I mean, let's be honest here. They had do have talent on offense, but they were really counting on Darnold coming in and having a breakout second year. What's your thoughts on Darnold being out, and can they survive with Simeon? I think it's going to be tough, Elliot. Um, I thought Sam Darnold had a good preseason. I thought he played well in week one, uh, even – even though Buffalo did a great job defending and taking away the deep pass, I mean, they, they're a good defense. Teams are going to find out that they're very difficult to prepare for. They do a lot. But, I mean, threw the ball 14 times to Jameson Crowder, 14 completions. He, you know, he found a slot receiver. They were up 17-0. They were in control of the game. They let it slip away. It was ugly. But this mononucleosis, yeah, I mean, this mono is something that is not a one-week disorder. It's not a two-week disorder. Your biggest issue is relapse. My brother had it when he was in college, and the fatigue, first of all, wipes you out. It's not like you can just muscle through it. You can't. The only really remedy is bed rest, which is the worst thing for any athlete to have to do is change yeah. yourself to a yeah. bed. And you, look, there'll, there'll be days when he's going to sleep 18 or 20 hours. It's just the only cure, and it's really what you're going to end up doing. So it's a tremendous blow. Um, we have seen Trevor Simeon as a starter in this league in Denver. And it's just, he's just, I mean, he can, he can move the team and he's a smart guy and Northwestern grad and all that stuff. But it was just a big difference between what Sam Darnold can do. And it's not a great offensive line. I mean, Sam Darnold gets out of a lot of trouble with just his ability to escape pressure, uh, elude the quick rush, and then keep his eyes down the field. He's very talented at doing it. He's, a, he's almost an elite athlete back here. I, I don't see Trevor Simeon in that category at all. And, and one of the biggest concerns, you mentioned the fact, the potential of a relapse and how he could be sleeping 18 hours a day. But what Adam Gay said is just the weight loss at this point. He, he's lost significant weight. And you, you hit the nail on the head. For, for an athlete to have to just essentially be bedridden for, for two weeks or whatever it's going to end up being, it's a huge setback. So, yeah, maybe he's back in three weeks. But it'll be tough for him to come back and be that same player. Adding insult to injury for the Jets is, of course, Le'Veon Bell getting an MRI on his shoulder. So just when it rains, it pours here in New York. And that's a, not as significant as an injury as Darnold. But when you don't have Darnold, then you would like to lean on Le'Veon Bell. That's why you pay him that money. He could make Trevor Simeon's life a lot easier. If they're, with, if they're without Le'Veon Bell as well this upcoming Monday, they are without Darnold already. They fall to 0-2. 
Like, is the Jets season already in risk of being over before it even got started? Well, I'm, I'm not going to put put them in the crypt and bury them right now. Uh, teams have found ways to win games and stay alive mm-hmm. uh, in much more dire straits than what the Jets are right now. I think the, the, the difficult part is Adam Gase was hired in large part to really help develop Sam Darnold and to really put this offense together. And if you take Darnold out and if Le'Veon Bell does miss any time, the two most important pieces to this offense, and they lose Quincy Anunwa as well for the season. I mean, you lose three starters in the first week for a variety of issues. And you just wonder, like, can you put this offense together? I mean, what they worked on all offseason was Levy and Bell and Sam Darnold together. And if they're not out there together, do you, does Adam Gase just get a pass? Because he took the job in large part because of Sam Darnold and the, the, the fact that he could really develop a guy that could be a, a frontline starter in this league for a long time. And I, I just don't think you're going to see him for at least a, mu- a minimum of a month. And I think it's going to be longer than that. So that would be my concern from a Jets fan perspective. If you're the Jets and, you know, last week was was an ugly loss, but yeah, you want Gase in here to to mentor Darnold, to coach him. But I personally don't believe Gase is the is the right choice at, at head coach. I mean, his resume in Miami obviously was, was not great. I know he has a history of developing quarterbacks, but now for the Jets, you're kind of kicking the can down the road. If you're Joe Douglas, and we can argue who really has the power there, Gase or Joe Douglas. But if, if you're Joe Douglas and the Jets owner, it's harder to really evaluate Gase for really this season at this point. Because you mentioned if, if he's out a month, that means he comes back week five or six. And then you have to give him a few games to get back into the swing of things. You're talking week 10-11 until you can really see what Gase has been able to do with Darnold. So outside of just this season, I think this is... It's a setback for this for this Jets organization in a number of ways. Um, one thing I wanted to pick your brain on, though, and you kind of started to touch on it earlier. So this Monday night at at uh, uh, the Browns, Browns come to New York. They're not going to Cleveland. The Browns are coming to New York. Is this now for the Browns an easy game for them? I mean, how how do they have to? How does this change preparing for the for Cleveland? Well, I mean, I think. Sam Darnold is, is much more mobile and can get out of harm's way much quicker. Uh, the Cleveland Browns are going to come, whether Sam Darnold was playing and Levy Bell, if he plays. I mean, they were coming to put that ugly performance last Sunday against the Titans to rest. And it starts with just their undisciplined amount of penalties and what they did to put themselves in a hole nearly every single series of that game. I mean, I think the they're going to come play as fierce as you can play, but under control. Um, they, Greg Williams on the other side, he coached this defense the last couple seasons. They all know Greg Williams. I'm sure they want to show Greg uh, and the Jets just what they are because nobody outside of the people that were there like myself, nobody saw just how bad that was. They just read about it, but it was ugly. And so I think the Jets are going to get the best punch that the Cleveland Browns have with or without the players that are, are might or might not be missing. So Trevor and Simeon, I mean, I think you're going to get the best for Miles Garrett and Olivier Vernon. Olivier Vernon coming back onto the field that 
Uh, he played on uh, for the better part of two seasons in New York, very familiar with the surroundings, and he didn't have a great first game. So I'm sure he's out there to show all Jet fans and people inside that building just what he's capable of doing, and I think you're going to get that. So sounds like we're both going to pick Cleveland in this one. I think it probably won't even be close. I think the Browns are a lot better than what they showed last week. The Titans are a lot better than the Jets, especially without Sam Darnold. So prime time, I think Baker has a big game. I think you're looking at probably a 10-plus, 14-plus victory here for the Browns. You thinking the same thing? I am. I would say this, though. You know, you just can't – you know, none of these games are guaranteed. Nobody, They're mm-hmm. still going to go play. If Cleveland plays undisciplined football, they turn it over, three interceptions in the fourth quarter last week. Um, they commit another inordinate amount of penalties. I mean, they're, they're going to be the national story for a team that had as much hype as any team going into a season in recent history. And if they come out 0-2, I mean, Freddie Kitchens will be the first coach on the hot seat. And it would be interesting if something like that happened. And Greg Williams on the other side, who a lot of people thought should have been given more consideration for that job as the head coach, taking that team five and two down the stretch. So it, there'll be some irony and stories written if something like that would happen. But I'm with you, Elliot. I don't see, I just can't see the Browns not coming away with a big victory. They, they have too much talent. I believe in the quarterback too much. And I don't think that they will be their own worst enemy this Sunday. Yeah, so if the Browns were to lose this game, obviously that would be one of the biggest questions is can Freddie Kitchens coach his team? Is he on the hot seat? But it's September, Baldy, and you know what that means. The NFL on CBS is back. And as I mentioned, there are a lot of questions this year. Is Freddie Kitchens going to be on the hot seat with a loss? Will the Patriots repeat? Is this the Cowboys' year? Will Patrick Mahomes be able to lead the Chiefs to a championship? Will Sam Darnold ever be healthy? Lots of questions to ask, and you can stream all your local games live every Sunday with CBS All Access, available across all of your favorite devices. You can go to cbs.com insider to get a free one-week trial of CBS All Access. Once again, that is cbs.com insider to get a free one-week trial of All Access. So outside of Browns and Jets, which is probably a little bit of a less exciting game now outside of the Darnold uh, drama or, or sickness, I should say, You are in Pittsburgh. You're going to be there for Seahawks at Steelers. Steelers coming off of an absolutely embarrassing loss in week one. Really, to me, said, I can't take them seriously as an AFC contender at this point just because they're never going to be able to get past the Patriots. I know it was just one game, but they've consistently shown they can't beat the Patriots. But what they can do is try to rebound from week one. Seahawks at Steelers. Just to start off where we really dive into it, what are some some things you're looking at coming into this game? Well, I mean, the national story with the Steelers is, can they replace Antonio Brown? So Juju Smith-Schuster last week saw a whole lot of Stephon Gilmore all over the field, and he didn't do much. But on the opposite side, Dante Moncrief was awful. He admitted he was awful. They targeted him 10 times. He had three catches for seven yards. He said it was the single worst performance he's ever had. Now, maybe he can rebound. But if he can't, if he's just a guy, I mean, I, I, first of all, I think James Washington is a better player. Now, maybe Mike Tomlin, they see something different every day in practice, but I think I know James Washington pretty good. So somebody has to step up. Um, if Seattle can just gang up on Juju Smith-Schuster, who is going 
to be that guy. They, they did not run the ball. They didn't do anything well last week. So we'll say, okay, preseason, rusty, really good team on the road. We'll give them a little bit of a pass. They can't beat the Patriots. You know, they're in their head. They get their home opener against Seattle, who's a quality team. We know what they want to do. They want to run the ball down your throat. Um, that's why Mike Solari is there. That's why Brian Schottenheimer is there. Uh, when Brian Schottenheimer was the offense coordinator for the Jets in 2008, they ran the ball 610 times. There's not a team in this league in the last decade that has come close to running it 610 times. That's what Seattle would love to do. So I thought Devin Bush was lost last week. Now, you can get lost if you're going against the Patriots, and they're just throwing more stuff at you than you've ever seen. I mean, Brady's got 20 years under center there, and there's nothing that he can't call or get his team into. And it was very difficult. Devin Bush is not going to have that problem this week. Seattle isn't trying to fool you. They're going to come right at you with a, you know, with a couple of different good backs. So I think that's the first chore for Pittsburgh this Sunday is to stop a really good running attack of Seattle. They led the league last year in rushing, and they were off to a good start last week against Cincinnati trying to do it. So I've always thought it's interesting that Seattle has probably one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and Russell Wilson, probably top three or four, and they're one of the biggest rushing teams in the league. So if you're Pete Carroll, you just gave Russell Wilson all that money. That was always a little bit perplexing to me. But from Seattle's perspective, they win week one, but you could kind of feel like maybe you walk out of that game not feeling great. You barely beat the Cincinnati Bengals, who are probably not going to be one of the better teams in the league last year, probably not even competing from within their division. They barely win that game. Jadavion Clowney said afterwards he felt rusty a little bit, which is understandable coming off of you know basically a month off in training camp. How did you think Jadavion Clowney looked in his debut with the Seahawks? He only played about half the snaps. So yeah. you know, he did get a sack. He had a tackle for a loss. Um, he wasn't the dominant player that we saw the last three years in Houston. He didn't look like that type of guy. And so I'm sure he hasn't played any football since uh, a playoff loss to the Colts in January. So I would expect him to, you know, from a conditioning standpoint, from just, you know, feeling comfortable in his pads to perfecting some disruptive moves that he has that are pretty unique to the league. I would think that he'd need at least a game and, a bunch of competitive practices in Seattle to get back to where he, he needs to be. And they need him. They, they literally have no pass rush. LJ Collier, the first round pick has been invisible. He, he hasn't played. Um, and they don't have anybody else there right now. That's why they made the trade. I mean, they simply didn't have anybody that could collapse a pocket and put pressure on a quarterback. They need him to be really good. And so he's going to see, you know, he's going to see two good tackles this week. Alejandro Villanueva, um, you know, I think Matt Filer is a quality player out of Bloomsburg. So he's going to see, you know, a pretty good offensive line and pretty good protectors to, to sort of make his statement this week. So I'm going to pick the Seahawks in this one. I think they have the better quarterback. I think they have probably the better head coach and the better overall roster, in my opinion. Who are you picking in this one? I'm going to take the Steelers. I think, you know, they're coming back. They're, they're at Pittsburgh. They have a good home field there. It's a lousy field. Uh, no matter when you play there, it's a lousy field. I mean, that's not, you know, both teams are playing on the same field, so it's not, it shouldn't be an issue. But I think Pittsburgh will rebound. I, I think this team, I don't think the, the Seahawks have any kind of corners the way New England does. They don't really play the style of football that can give you problems the way New England does. 
Um, I, I think that they'll rebound well. I think Connor will have a big game. And I expect Pittsburgh to rebound and win this game, get back on track. I, I, I think they're going to be a good team. Yeah, it would be a it would be a devastating loss for Pittsburgh to drop to 0-2, especially in a division that is going to be really competitive. But speaking of competitive and two teams that really don't like each other, the Saints and Rams are quickly becoming two of those teams off of, of course, the controversial call last year in the NFC Championship game. The Saints go to uh, go to Los Angeles this time, though. Both those games last year were in New Orleans. I thought Jared Goff was a little better than his numbers indicated in week one against the Panthers. I think just you going into Carolina and getting that win is very impressive. And we already talked in last last episode about the Saints win. Saints at Rams, is this an NFC championship preview? And what are some of your initial thoughts on this matchup? I don't necessarily think it's an NFC championship matchup. I did not think in watching the game that Jared Goff was good. I mean, he missed a lot of open receivers. I think he was good. It was interesting, uh, Elliot, to me. Malcolm Brown is their backup running back to Todd Gurley. And Todd Gurley had one run where it looked like what we're accustomed to seeing from Todd Gurley. The other runs, I thought Malcolm Brown was a better player. And I'm curious what Sean McVay does, because he proved last year, late in the season, that he's going to go with the better players. Now, Todd Gurley has been on a pitch count. They have taken all the precautions. I'm anxious to see if Malcolm Brown gets as many, if not more, carries than Todd Gurley. He looked, I remember when Malcolm Brown, Elliott, came out of high school, went to the University of Texas. He was the nation's number one recruit. There was a huge buzz. And he never lived up to it. He had injuries at, at, at Texas. They had other backs. He was, a, you know, I, I think he was undrafted. And he's been with the Rams. He was hurt for a year, a couple of years ago. But he looked like the guy that was as heralded coming out of high school as Todd Gurley was. And he looked like that guy. He ran with power. He ran between the tackles. He made people miss. He did a lot of good things. He was a more consistent back. That's one player. Um, it's interesting. The, the, the Saints and Rams played twice last year. Like they played in the middle of the season. And I remember um, – the, the, the Saints won both games. In the first game, in the middle of the season, I remember talking to the offensive line coach of the Saints, and they spent the entire week basically game-planning Aaron Donald. And Aaron Donald really did nothing in the game. They literally had two guys or three on him, every run and every pass. And it was, they almost made him invisible, if that's possible. Sean Payton, Drew Brees, and the offensive line coach and the run coordinator, they are up right now, making sure that what Wade Phillips is doing with Aaron Donald doesn't allow him to ruin the game. And that's almost as big a part of any game plan when you face the Rams. And so I'm anxious to see that. Uh, But that was, that comeback that the Texans had in that building, I mean, to see that game decided by a 58-yard kick by Lutz like that, I mean, that was an amazing finish. It's, it's a short week for them. They, they finish late Monday night, Elliot, right? Then they got to get on the road and go to Los Angeles. These things do tend to bother teams. They do tend to bother, make you fatigued and affect you. Now, the Rams had to go all the way to Carolina, so they're coming back home. We'll see. But I think Goff has to play a lot better for the Rams to win this game this weekend. 
Yeah, look, you're probably right. Maybe he wasn't as great against the Panthers as I thought. I just think what the thing with Jared Goff is like, and I'm a big quarterback win loss guy. I just am. I know some people don't respect that as a stat, but I think you look last year, Jared Goff in some ways kind of had his coming out party at New Orleans, leading them back in that game, had a really good final last drive. I think if not for that controversial call, people will look at that game and really highlight how well Goff was at the end of it, made some big time throws. But look, when we talk about this two, these two teams, you talk about offense, right? Drew Brees, Jared Goff, Sean McVay, Sean Payton. You mentioned Aaron Donald. Is this game going to be like the Chiefs-Rams of last year, just a complete shootout? Which defense do you think is more capable of slowing down the other offense just enough so that their team can get a win? I think both defenses are better than what we saw in that Chiefs-Rams game last year. Um, I think Clay Matthews can make a difference. Uh, I think it's a pretty good front. I think he's happy to be back home in Southern California and getting this opportunity. <clears throat> the Saints defense, although Deshaun Watson did some amazing things, I mean, they do have all the pieces to be really good. And so I don't think we're going to see a, a shootout. I just don't – these offenses don't look like – like that. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of concerned watching the Saints last week if they have enough firepower. I know Michael Thomas and Aaron uh, – in uh, AK-41. I mean, I know Kamara and Thomas are as good a one-two punch as there is in football. And they lean on those guys heavily. I'm curious to see what Wade does to try to slow them down. And if somebody else can step up. Because we didn't really see that Monday night. So this is obviously a huge game for the Saints. I'd imagine they're going to have a ton of emotion going into it. I remember last year, Sean McVay, oh, Sean McVay, Sean Payton, put a ton of money in the middle of the Saints locker room. So he's certainly one for motivational tactics. I'm going to pick the Rams in this one, though. I just think the fact that it's not the Dome, that it's on the road in Los Angeles. You mentioned the Saints are coming off of a short week. I wonder if they're going to be too hyped up for this game, too, too much emotionally spent on it. I'm going to pick the Rams. Are you leaning that way, or do you think the Saints go into Los Angeles and get some revenge off of last year? No, I mean, I think the revenge factor is real. I mean, I, you know yeah. – you know, that Sean Payton is playing that card. You know that this week that call is up there on the screen in front of the whole team. If not for that call, we would be Super Bowl contending teams. You know Sean Payton will use that and dangle that carrot all week long with this team. And just to bring back all of that emotion, and not just the team's emotion, but the city's emotion, that who that nation is real. And it was like just a sucker punch to that entire city. I think Sean Payton... I think they'll come off that plane probably, you know, who knows, in battle fatigues. And we've seen these kind of, you know, these kind of motivational tactics. I, I, I mean, it could be who that shirts. I think they come collectively off the plane with some kind of like gimmick. I don't think they come off with their headphones on and, you know, expensive suits. I, I, I think this team is going to make a statement getting off the plane. All that being said, I'm with you, Elliot. I think that this is a Rams game. I mean, I think that they they I think they'll find a way to win this game. I, I think the Saints, I mean, that, how many times can you figure on a 58-yard field goal to win a game? I, I don't understand really the strategy at the end of that game with 37 seconds, whatever it was, defensively, how Houston could play and let them get those needed yards. 
to have that field goal attempt. I just don't understand that strategy. I see it around the league, and I don't, I don't agree with it. I just don't. It, it, I saw it in the Eagles game last week. They're, they're playing the sticks, and teams find a way. Like, it's just too soft. And mm-hmm. there's just too many things that go wrong when you have elite athletes with the ball in their hands. So this game should be a fast-paced team between two great offenses. So it's going to be a fast one. But you know what can be a slow process? Hiring. Cafe Altour COO Dylan Miskowitz needed to hire a director of coffee. So, of course, he went to ZipRecruiter, posted his job, and found the best person for the role in just a few days. How? ZipRecruiter's technology finds people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. It's no wonder four to five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So you're in Pittsburgh. You're going to be there for Seahawks at Steelers. I'm leaving for Atlanta on Friday for Eagles Falcons. One of the other premier games of the weekend. My biggest, when I, when I, when I think of this game, I think it's going to completely come down to the defensive lines. Last week, Atlanta really struggled against that Vikings defensive line. I mean, Matt Ryan was throwing almost every throw off of his back foot backpedaling because of pressure. If the Eagles can't get pressure, I think Matt Ryan will pick them apart. The secondary is not as good as I thought. The Eagles secondary, I mean. I'm not sure, though, that the Eagles have the talent on the defensive line to get the pressure on Matt Ryan. So before we get into that, what I do want to ask you, though, is just overall, the Eagles defense, what did you see in week one? Because I saw a unit that might not be as talented as we thought it was heading into the season. No, I kind of agree, Elliot. I mean, they didn't play well in the secondary. Um you know, the, the, t- the tackling on Vernon Davis and his touchdown is just atrocious. Um, to see, you know, Rasul Douglas pull up and wait for somebody else to make the tackle, and then Vernon Davis runs away from everybody, uh, you know, in his 14th year in his league at age 35 like that, um, I didn't think that was a good statement. I mean, the Eagles, when Deshaun Jackson caught the 53-yard pass, Elliot, to take that lead 21-20, the very next series, K- Case Keenum missed – McLaren on a touchdown. I mean, it was a 70-yard bomb. He got behind everybody. There's nobody in the middle of the field. There's a complete breakdown. His speed runs right by him. Now, he could have done exactly what Deshaun Jackson just did to them. It was there to be made, and I thought they could have easily taken the lead right there. That being said, Matt Ryan is looking at a defense right now that I think they have some holes in it, Elliot. I am a big Avante Maddox fan, but I think he's out of position. He is to me, their best corner. Now, they don't really have a nickel corner. They've tried Avante in there. They've they run Sidney Jones in there. And none of them look very good. And I'm sure that Dirk Cotter and Matt Ryan is looking at that. And I expect to see Julio Jones in the slot this week going up against whoever they're putting in there in the nickel because they keep rotating. But the corners weren't good. The pass rush wasn't very good. Derek Barnett, I thought, had a good game. I didn't see much from Brady Graham. Nothing from Josh Sweat. Obviously, you know, Malik Jackson's loss is going to be huge. Um, you know, I don't know what Akeem Spence is going to give them. That's who they just picked up. Um, they, they don't look – I mean, Fletcher Cox has to dominate. Now, in the Rams' offensive line, they lost uh, Lindstrom, you know, for, for at least the next eight weeks. He broke his foot or did something to his foot. He's out. Mm-hmm. So, Yaman Brown was there. Kayla McGarry was not good against the Vikings. He's a rookie that didn't play much in preseason, coming back from a heart condition. 
mean, they're counting on these two rookies to come in there and act like they're Quentin Nelson and what the Indianapolis Colts did last year. They're not those players. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham right now should be looking to lick their chops and really make a statement this week in this game. So one thing going for the Eagles is that the last three times they've played the Falcons, they've won. All have been in Philadelphia. Jim Schwartz has held this offense under 20 points each time, I believe. So he has their number a little bit. I do think it being in Atlanta obviously changes things. The Falcons come in a desperate team, 0-1 in the Dome, prime time. Carson Wentz in his career has not been great on the road against good teams. I have him down as 4-10 in his career against teams that ended the season with a winning record when he plays them on the road. He's lost, you know, number he lost to Dallas last year. He lost to Tennessee last year. He consistently has gone into opposing stadiums and kind of struggled. Now, I know that it's not all on him. Obviously, those are losses by the Eagles, not just him. But I do think Carson Wentz this Sunday needs a big game. He has to go prime time and show people, yes, he's recovered. Yes, he can win these big games when the team needs him to. Although the the uh, defense for the Eagles could struggle against that Falcons offense. I think this Eagles offense should be able to score 25 plus points. How do you think they match up with the Falcons defense? I think they match up really well. Um, you know, I think getting Lane Johnson and Brandon Brooks back after not playing at all and getting through that game, they weren't great, but the Redskins have a really good front. Um, you could see that Lane struggled a little bit against Kerrigan. He gave up some pressures. Uh, but, you know, one thing about Lane, he's, he's extremely tough. So I expect him to be strong this week. And I, I just, when I look at this Falcons defense, they've been drafting defensive linemen and paying, you know, Grady Jarrett and drafting Vic Beasley and Tack McKinley. I mean, they've drafted all these guys, but they're just, they just look like guys to me, Elliot. I mean, they don't mm -hmm. look like game-changing players. I know where they were drafted, but – you know, Vic Beasley and Tack McKinley were drafted to change the game. Speed off the edge and, you know, and really rattling quarterbacks' cages. And, you know, playing inside a dome, I understand why they did it. Um, but I haven't seen it really take place yet. And everybody will say, well, they, they lost Deion Jones and they lost Keanu Neal last year and blah, blah, blah. But I didn't see a front four take over any games. I, I mean, I saw the Miami Dolphins come back on them. I haven't seen any, I haven't seen that line take over a game. And I think this is the wrong offensive line to try and think that you could do that. I mean, they're, they're, they're too good up front. You're not going to run around Jason Peters and Lane, Lane Johnson right now. That's their game. They're not on the ground. They're elite athletes. I think this is a tough game. I, I don't like this Falcons defense. I saw Dalvin Cook shred them last week. Um, they blocked him up really well. I know they only threw the ball 10 times, Elliot, so you didn't get a chance to really rush the passer. And that's what they're built on. They're built for speed. The red storm, I call it. They're built on speed. I expect the Eagles to play a lot of smash now out there this weekend. You may see a third tackle, Big V playing tight end, just to get, you know, just to get a guy on the edge to really secure it. Um, not that Dallas Goddard isn't capable, he is. But I expect the Eagles to play a real physical brand of football and really attack this Falcons defense and play some keep away. And I think they're capable of doing it. I think the Eagles are going to win this game. Okay, so that's what I was about to ask you. As soon as this schedule came out, I had this down as a loss for the Eagles just because Wentz on the road hasn't been great. Wentz hasn't really shown he can win shootouts. But just after seeing both teams, I think the Eagles are the better team. I think they have the better defense. I think they have the better offense. They have the better head coach. 
Quarterback Matt Ryan is still among the elite, in my opinion. But him and Carson are probably playing at a similar level right now based off of week one. It's such, it's such a tough spot for the Eagles, though, in Atlanta, home opener, prime time. So I think it could be closer. But I agree. Like, as the week goes on, I'm leaning Eagles. I just think you you have to pick the better team. That Those are the teams that win, obviously, most of the time. I get outside factors play into it. But I think even if the Eagles' defense struggles, you'll see the Eagles' offense be able to keep them uh, keep them in it. And this could end up being one of the signature wins of Carson's career so far. Uh, his 2017, he beat Carolina on Thursday night. That probably is the best win of his career. I think this is going to end up being right up there. I think Carson has a big game, and they win it. So before we wrap this up, Anything else from week two that you want to uh, let the loyal prevent defense listeners know about? Well, I know this isn't a popular team, but the Buffalo Bills, what they did last week, Elliot, on the road down 16-0. It's interesting. You know, Frank Gore is going to the Hall of Fame. He might end up second all time. I mean, who knows? I I don't think he's going to catch Emmitt Smith, but he might end up second the all-time leading rusher. And they rode him hard in the first half against the Jets. And he was okay. And then they were faced with third and eight in the third quarter, down 16-0. And they put this rookie in, Devin Singletary, who I happen to love. I loved him at FAU. I know he didn't test well. I know he only caught six passes. But I watched him in preseason. And there's just something about this kid. And so on third and eight, they run the ball. And the kid pops one for 20. And he gave them a spark. They ended up scoring on the drive. He had another 23-yarder. He had some catches. And then I watched them defensively, Elliot. And they do, they do as much as any defense in the league from mixing fronts and coverages and zone man coverages and concepts. They really – they I mean, they, the Jets could not get the ball down the field. They tried throwing to Robbie Anderson – they could not get the ball down the field against the uh, uh, the Jets. Couldn't get the ball down the field. Like this Buffalo team is just gritty. So I'm looking at this Buffalo team right now, and they go to play the Giants. They're going to the same stadium they won in last week. They could have stayed right there at that Hilton, right there at the at the Meadowlands all week, and just you know just got right back on the bus and rode across the street. But I like this Buffalo team to beat the Giants this week and to jump out to two and zero. And not a fluky 2-0. They are a – they're getting better. And I think this Singletary and Oliver and some of these young kids that they're playing, you know, Tremaine Ed- Edmonds at middle linebacker, they're playing young players that are good players. And they keep showing up. So, I don't know, for Bill Safia, Elliot, I would tell him, like, I'm not going to be surprised to see this team go to 2-0 this week. Yeah, I'm excited. The Eagles go to Buffalo uh, in probably about a month. I'm ex- this might be my first time there to see a game. I'm excited to see that crowd. But I'm also super excited for this week two slate of games and even more excited to talk to you about them next week. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We're going to be back next week, another pod, talk about everything that happened in week two. Hopefully no more injuries and we can just talk about the football, see who won, who didn't, who's on the hot seat now. Baldy, look forward to talking to you next week, man. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you next week. 